Hello, I'm Beverly Taylor. We've reached another milestone. We have wrapped up season six of the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. I want to thank those of you who have joined us along the way. This is the second part of our review of podcasts in season six. The 411 Live. Where you can learn about issues that affect us every day. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your We call episode seven dismantling the unfair redistricting system in Wisconsin. State legislatures across the country redrew state maps in 2021-22. Why should you care? Well, if you want your vote to count, you should care. If you care about voter suppression, you should really care. In this episode, Timothy Schindler, Executive Director of Wisconsin Voices and its Policy Director, Jamie Lynn Crofts, joins me to talk about what communities can do and are doing to have a voice. Well, you know, it's something that uh, other people have been working on for a long time, and I'm really excited for Wisconsin Voices to really dig in in there. Um, And yeah, uh, next year we're planning on doing both grassroots and direct lobbying um, all around the state and with, you know, legislators of all political persuasions Mm -hmm. because, you know, everyone should want fair maps. And in Wisconsin, actually, people do want fair maps. Um, Polls have shown that 83% of people in Wisconsin want fair maps. Um, And then 56 of our 72 counties have passed either resolutions or referendums saying that they want independent fair maps. Um, So it's really more, you know, getting the legislative will. Um, And there actually is already bipartisan support, um, although it is skewed in favor of the Democrats. Um, There are three Republicans uh, in both the, in the Assembly and through Republicans in the Senate who have co-sponsored legislation that would create an independent commission. Okay. Um, and then another senator actually earlier this week, um, Senator uh, from Brookfield, uh, Koyunga, um, actually came out and, sa- and said that the Senate – that they sh- the Senate should hold a hearing on the bill, and he wasn't even one of the co- original co-sponsors. Oh, really? So I think that, you know, as people hear more from their constituents, they're going to have to be more responsive. And so that's where, you know, the, the grassroots level and really making sure that we're helping educate people and, you know, understand why gerrymandering is such an important issue and how it really results in suppressing their votes. But you've got to make that that vote count. Oh, absolutely. And here in Wisconsin, we have, you know, important elections that are held in April of off years, Um, state Supreme Court seats this past year, the state superintendent. Um, And so it it is incredibly important to make sure people are mobilized and getting out for those elections, because if it's just the extremists on either side, you're just going to get more extreme and more extreme leaders. So I think that is going to be key to actually next year in the election is really educating them, get them to see they do have a voice, that people do care about their voice, and they are a leader. Because right now, people, when they look at youth, they look down upon them. They said, oh, they don't know anything. They're they're just, or, you know, especially in African-American, they say, oh, they're thugs or gangbangers. They're not. So you don't know them. You don't know the trauma they went through. So And so what we want to do is really lift them up and help them to see that they true Jay are true leaders. They're organizers, and, and we're going to help them with that through this program that we're developing. And then this is going to be year round. It's going to be year round, yeah. so it's going to touch numerous youth. 
We continued the subject of voting in Episode 8, called Legal Action Against Partisan Gerrymandering. Here in Wisconsin, it's been a challenge to keep up with all of the political and court maneuverings that have gone on because of the redrawing of state maps. We talked to Doug Poland, litigation director of Forward Law. When the redistricting issue went before the state Supreme Court, he represented a group that presented a map to be considered by the court. What the Supreme Court essentially ruled um, is that it adopted um, an extreme minority legal position. Um, in other words, and here we're talking about, um, when I talk about minority position, I'm talking about positions among different courts around the United mm-hmm. States. Um, the, this, this least change approach, which r- requires us to submit maps or proposed maps to the state Supreme Court, um, requires us to submit them in a way that, that there are as few changes as possible from the existing districts. Um, as we know, as we proved in federal court in a different lawsuit back in 2016, these districts, when they were adopted by the legislature in 2011, they've been held to be an unconstitutional partisan gerrymander. That's what a federal court in Madison held in 2016. That was that judgment was vacated by the U.S. Supreme Court on technical grounds, but Importantly, the United States Supreme Court never said that was wrong. They never said that that conclusion that was reached by the federal court was wrong. And so we conclusively proved, and quite frankly, it was it was not difficult because we did it from the documents and data and words of the Republican aides who drew the maps in 2011. That was an extreme partisan gerrymander. And so um, as good government advocates who believe that the voice of the people should be heard and that the voters should choose their politicians and not the other way around. If you are going to make the least number of changes, minimal changes to the districts that were put in place in 2011 and have ensured that a Republican majority has been won in the legislature in 2012, in 2014, in 2016, in 2018, in 2020, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that that if you just keep doing what you've been doing in the past, you're not going to have a change. It's not going to be any different. And so it just locks in Republican control of the legislature for another decade. That's bad for any political party. I don't care if it's Democrats or Republicans or some other party. That is not democracy in action. Right. And we can't say that if, uh, you know, things were turned and Democrats were empowered, Democrats have the ability to do what the Republicans did, that they wouldn't have done it. But I understand what you're saying. It doesn't matter. The party doesn't matter. It's still it, it just it. It's not right. And that's because you have one political party that controls what does and doesn't come before the entire legislature. And so we've got that for common sense um, laws to control um, and reduce gun violence. Um, We have that for nonpartisan redistricting commissions. There's just a number of different policies that the people of Wisconsin are desperate to have the legislature take up and put into law. And they don't even see a minute of debate or discussion on the floor of the legislature because of partisan gerrymandering. Um, So this is, it's just a a continuing problem across the board with these tactics that are being used to try to entrench a specific political party in power. It's wrong, it's wrong whether it happens with Republicans in Wisconsin or Democrats in Illinois or wherever it may be. A lot of people are are tired, they're despondent, they, um, uh, you know, they've got other very pressing concerns. And I think that um, a lot of people will look at the political landscape and say, 
Democrat, Democrats, Republicans, it doesn't matter who's in control. Um, it's just the system is a bad system. Um, and so they don't go vote because they don't think their vote matters. I have to tell everybody and, and ask them to vote because every single vote matters. If you go and if you vote, if you exercise your power to vote, um, you're doing two things. One, you're showing the people who would suppress your vote that you're not going to be you're not going to be intimidated by this. You are going to go and you're going to exercise the constitutional rights you have, and they are not going to stop you. That's a very important message to send. But number two, it's only when you aggregate all of those votes that you can actually take and reclaim political power. Episode 11, Rescuing Food and Helping Souls. Just One More Ministry sorts hundreds of thousands of pounds of food a week to get it to people who need it. DJ Rodrian tells me it all started by a man with a sordid past who wanted to be a blessing to others by rescuing food that would normally be wasted, proving that one person can have a huge impact. You actually have to start with a drug addict and alcoholic in prison. And, and his name is Chris Capper, and he's proud to tell his testimony because God tapped him on the shoulder and literally told him to change his life, you know, and he got out of prison and hooked up with some childhood friends of his. And these are people in their late fifties, uh, you know, not in the, in the early stages of life. Chris was inspired initially to take a loaf of, uh, it's actually a box of 20 loaves of bread. He took it down to a recovery house in Milwaukee and he just started finding out there was food that nobody wanted that absolutely should be given to the poor. It, it is one of the most miraculous things that you could ever be a part of and get to, to see. And I did not know Chris before he was recovered. In fact, I met him through recovery circles because uh, addiction and recovery, he's got a huge heart for it and so do I. So we crisscross that way. Mm -hmm. But his, uh, he says the Lord took it away from me. He really does. Wow. And he uh, just has been walking with the Lord, and I love spending time with him. He has great faith, and he has inspired many people. Yeah. And you, I was asking you before, how did you get associated with this and, and why? And it kind of him. Mm, yeah. Just his story. Yeah. And he, his commitment. He was deeply involved in a, in a nice program called Celebrate Recovery, which is a Christian 12-step type of recovery program. Mm -hmm. And he'd be a speaker at different groups and Rosen became a leader in that community. And I was attending one of these groups when I met Chris and a, a fast friendship formed because of our common interests in, in serving and charity. And I loved everything he was doing from the minute I heard about it. And at that time, when you got on board, we're talking just working out of a church basement. Just a church basement, just a one little little commercial kitchen like you see in a church. They barely had any coolers and freezers. Uh, they just get the food in. Everybody hurry up and, and let's make 500 family meals. We'll put them in tin pans. We'll wrap them in foil, and they can go right to hungry families. And that is exactly what was happening. And it was so heartwarming that the feedback loop started that we just kept getting more food, more volunteers, more food, more volunteers, right. and away we go. Where are you now? You, because you said you guys, you talk in pounds of yes. food. Yes. Where are you now? This year, we are uh, going to be near 4 million pounds of food. And that is a jaw dropping number because just last year in 20, which was a record year, we were like two and a half 
million. So we're talking yet another year of over 50% growth, and it is flowing through our warehouse in Glendale. And that's where we've been since 2019, and that's a good size yeah. warehouse there. We've got larger walk-in coolers and freezers. We've got a, a big truck and a van now, and everything is just sort of supersized. And uh, we have now 80 plus partners. These are the organizations that pick up the food mm -hmm. and we're moving the food, but everything is uh, just keeps scaling upwards. Episode 12, Strive 365, developing a positive behavioral change environment for our youth. This is a talk with Dr. Brandon Curry, CEO of Strive 365 and Creighton Nash, Strive 365's program manager. This group is phenomenal. Helping students and educators build positive relationships. Helping educators relate to kids before them. Peeling back layers to really understand the youth and providing a curriculum to teachers and caregivers to use. But one of the things that I, I believe sets us apart is that we actually work with our partners to assess gaps and figure out what their needs are. So we actually customize what we are offering to them. As long as you care and you show them and you show up, um, that's where you establish that trust and you start building higher levels of a relationship that makes them feel like somebody cares. Right. Um, heard the statement, all it takes is one caring adult. Mm. And it may not be somebody in your household. Right. So right. if we all take the step of saying, I can be that, I can have that impact. Maybe you had your own challenges growing up. Maybe you still have challenges. But even sharing your story. That and, helps. Yeah. Right. Opening up. It, it. Sometimes I've heard even educators, facilitators, mentors say, I'm growing more working with youth or with these individuals, I think, than what they're learning from me. Right. It's it's kind of reshaping and making you appreciate the opportunity you have to be in that position. You know, you take an educator, they have stressful jobs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. When I look at the um, crisis I think we're in across the country and the pressure that's on educators, leadership, coaches, everybody that's in front of kids, I see it as every decision you make is crucial. Mm -hmm. And so when you're, when you're under that pressure, again, that's the fight, flight, freeze response, right. even as an educator, like, what do I do? You know, say a, a kid is struggling, uh, maybe they don't have the best behavior. It's so easy to focus negative energy towards their negative energy. Right. Yelling at them, right. kicking them out of class instead of, hey, ask them, take time to ask them questions to figure out what they're going through. But I like it when the young men are, are kind of leading the discussion and talking about it themselves, too, because then they start really thinking about it and figuring things out. Yeah. And this particular lesson led to them talking about uh, an incident that happened uh, at school and how they could have handled things better. And literally two days later, the basketball team actually had an incident at the school or at their game where something happened and a fight broke out. And they were able to kind of use their own method of thinking to back away from the situation and get off the court. And when I heard that, I said, wow, that, that's 
I felt good. I felt yeah. good about what we're doing and how that had a, a definite impact. Episode 13, triathlete book for kids was so much fun. Nia Aboate saw that there wasn't a children's book about triathletes, so she wrote one. Now it's an award-winning book called I Am a Triathlete, featuring a young black girl. Her message, if you don't see a book about a topic you're interested in, write it. And um, when I went to look for a book to encourage my niece, I couldn't find one. And you would think, you know, okay, most people, they'll look and, you know, they'll just try to find something else. But in my search um, for the book, I came across statistics um, for um, children of color mm-hmm. books that have characters of children of color. And um, how it moved me, you know, to see that there was really a lack of books that show characters that are African-American. Mm-hmm. Um, that and the fact that I was looking for a book for my niece just kind of propelled me to do something. Yeah. And being a triathlete, I wanted to have something that could encourage her and others in my circle. Right. And so that's really what propelled me to start writing it and oh, then nice. looking for illustrations. Right. So um, just go. Googling, you know, um, at triathlete or triathlon, it's a lacking of just illustrations of pictures of us swimming, biking and running. And so this was my way to get out there and let people know there are people who look like me that look like my niece or the younger Nia who would want to be encouraged by this mm-hmm. book um, to say that it, you can do it. And there are people out there doing it. So I wanted to have a way that I can encourage my niece. I could reach back to ladies that I know who are trying triathletes and, you know, uh, share this encouraging story Mm -hmm. with them and also make an impact as small as it may be on the statistics for people of what uh, of color writing books about people of color. So this book, I Am a Triathlete in 2020, became the most backed and most funded triathlon children's book. Um, in Kickstarter history. Nice. You know, so if you go out there, you're not going to find a triathlon children's book. And I have to be clear about that because there are other children's books that definitely were off the charts when it comes to funding and backing. But this one um, pretty much made history in that. But you made your goal in 24 hours. In 24 hours, yes. That's amazing. That is amazing. Episode 14, Mira a community-based preventative care and crisis intervention app. My guest, Montreal Kane, who talked about an innovative concept, whereas you can get help for a mental or medical crisis from professionals who are alerted by a smartwatch that you wear. About four years ago, I was charged with the task of taking one of my loved ones, someone who has served this country as a veteran. Uh, They were having a a mental health episode, and I was charged with the task of getting them to the VA hospital. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, the day that I arrived to take them there, I couldn't find them. Uh, I was able to to get into the home through the garage, and I saw their keys, I saw their cell phone, but they were nowhere to be found. And I started to panic. I'm like, I just pray that when I turn this corner, they're not laid out on the floor somewhere. And I ended up calling uh, Dr. Lakia Jones over at Amri Family Services. Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, Dr. Jones, you know, I had done some work with her sorority and her website through multimedia. And I said, hey, um, do you have a nonprofit? And she was like, oh, yeah, we have a 501c3. I said, do you have a board of directors? She said, I do. I said, I would love to sit on your board. 
Now, at the time, I was at that loved one's house. And I'm like, I don't know what to do, but I don't like how I feel. And I'm willing to commit my life to make sure no one else has to feel the emotions I experienced at that time. And I just went into prayer. And literally nine minutes later, after having that call, I got a call from a crisis intervention trained officer uh, in another part of Wisconsin saying, hey, we found your loved one. I am a crisis intervention trained officer. Everything's going to be all right. Can you come as soon as possible? And after that, I started my journey. I went back to school, got my master's in counseling while teaching at Marshall. Um, I went ahead and went and took some mental health first aid certification classes. And then I hired some developers. And I said, you know what? I have a technological background. I worked for Apple Incorporated for five years in the accessibility department. And I want to create a solution for our people. Because when I was at Apple, I would see people come in with these checks, Medicaid checks. And they would purchase different forms of technology. I would teach classes for the autistic community and help them with motor skills. But none of those people look like us. Mm. So if I could find a solution in the assistive technology space and basically create this uh, this item, I would no longer have to feel the way I felt that day. I would always have a little bit of peace of mind, and I can share that with other Wisconsinites. One of the first things I thought about, I was sitting in a board meeting at Amri, and uh, one of the, the, the young ladies that I do volunteer work with mm-hmm. happened to tell us that she had a vertical stroke. Said it in the most casual way. And I'm just taken back because this is a person I knock on doors and do community service with. I play the old school jams. We have a great relationship, but I was not able to focus anymore in that meeting. And we found out the only reason why she's truly okay and and walking upright today is because she had on a rubber band. And the rubber band had Amri Family Service Clinic on there, and they called that number to get her help. And it was just an amazing testimonial, but my mind began to go so fast. And there was this moment, let me find my phone somewhere. There was this moment while in the meeting, I had my phone in my hand just like this, and it flashed. And when it flashed, the CEO says, hey, did you just take a picture of me? I said, I'm on the Bird Scooter app. That same day, Milwaukee, Wisconsin had decided to remove the Bird Scooters. Now, mind you, we have them now. We got Lime, we got all Mm -hmm. these other companies, but they were going to remove them. And I said, you know... I have to find a bird scooter. And they're like, that's what you're doing right now. And I said, listen, we can give out a million turkeys. We can do community block parties, but I want to do something intentional. Can I have a selfish moment to tell you guys my idea and why I'm here today? They're like, sure. And I said, I can imagine a device that knows where you are. Why would people put all these scooters in different communities and not have some form of insurance to make sure it's going to mm-hmm. work? What if it dies? Can I, can I take this scooter on a joyride? What type of technology do you have in a scooter? If I can find a way to put that into a rubber band, then I could have peace of mind. I would know where my loved one is, and I need that. And so I left that place, and I drove around the city to find a bird scooter. And when I tell you I went to three or four different places, I rung doorbells of strangers. Where's the bird scooter? Because there's only two left in the city. Oh, wow. I arrived at the place where they fix and charge bird scooters. I met the engineer working on it, and he told me how it worked. And it reminded me of my childhood, working in the studio with my father and how when he would mix music, there was analog. And when I started getting into music production, I went digital. And so I noticed the similarity. Similar to a Rolex watch, if you move a scooter, it gives enough charge to tell you where it is. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to actually go find it, I heard this very interesting sound. I heard that. And I said, wait, this is software. So if I can figure out how to have the same type of technology as find my iPhone, 
I don't have to build an actual device. I can use the Apple Watch. So this is what it looks like. This is a prototype where we have the heart rate monitor, and I'll make sure you guys are able to get a close-up of some sort. I'll even take it off for you. You got the heart rate monitor. You got your breathing app. And then we actually have a, a working application that your family members can use. And so what happens is your family members have the ability, up to three of them, to look at our device and to be able to say, hey, I know where you are. I know how you're feeling. And they have the ability to actually check your heart rate out, see what's going on with you. And when your heart rate is spiked and you're not walking and, and you're in a position where you're not working out and you're not sleeping, we have therapists of color, 41 therapists who are on call, on standby, who can respond to an emergency. And before they show up, they just say, how you feeling today? So on this app where it says, how are you today? There's a little thumbprint. You press thumbs up, I'm okay. Would you like to talk to somebody? If you press thumbs down, we work with family members. And so we have something called the caretaker team. Our uh -huh. caretakers are individuals who would lose sleep over your well-being. Mm -hmm. And so up to three families, that family members can look at our app, see where you're at, put their availability in, and have the actual opportunity to say, hey, I'm available. Send me any text messages, doctor's calls. Right. I'm a power of attorney. I'm a guardian of light. And whatever that role is for them, they can be responsible for you and they can talk to different therapists. Episode 15, how to survive a life change in a different season of life. Andre Lee Ellis and his wife, Angela, are the guests for this one. I've admired Andre for so many reasons. And in this episode, he talked candidly about his life's journey and the new chapter he and his wife are in now. This really has been an uh, evolution for you because you, no drugs, no marijuana anymore, no drinking. No cigarette smoking. No cigarette smoking. I, I stopped it all at once. About mm -hmm. seven months ago, um, I hit the floor at home. And um, while I was out, I could hear the paramedics saying his blood pressure is 70 over 54. Now, 120 over 80 is normal. So imagine 70 over 54. And I heard him say to my wife, if he, if, he, if that high number goes any lower, I can't tell you what to expect. And, and, and I heard him say that. And, and then I could hear her saying, Andre, don't you, what she said earlier, right. don't you do this to me. We got some work to do. And she ain't going to let me talk about that work today. But um, we got some work to do. Open your eyes up. And when I open my eyes up, I could see her, and I remember saying to her, Angela, I love you. I'm not going to do it. And then I went back into the mm -hmm. black state, and I remember looking at this light, and I, I'm calling it light God. And I remember saying to the light, I said, okay, God, not today. I've got um, something else to do, more work to do with Angela. I need to go back. I don't want to do this yeah. today. But I re just recently, I went to a fire station for a meeting, and when I went into the fire station and said my name, the, fire, the firefighter said, oh, I know that name. I'll never forget it. And then he said to me, 70 over 54. And, oh, wow. And I said, wow. Well, he, he was one of the five. And mm -hmm. I said, I said, you remember that? He said, oh, yeah, that was unusual because when you were blacked out, I could hear you talking to God. When you opened your eyes, you were talking to your wife. And that experience was just something for me. So it's really, really real for me. Whether people want to believe or not, I tell my friends that are atheists and people that don't want to believe in God, I got enough faith for you. I've been through enough to pray you through something because <laughs> God is really real, for real, and you can't make me doubt him like grandmama say. I know too much about him. God speaks 
Yeah. But do we listen? Yeah. And I heard God clearly say, if you go back to the garden, it's going to kill you. You know, listening is key. When God yeah. speaks, listen, because the benefits that come behind listening and then executing, I say go. Go is yeah. my go is my my word. And anybody that know me on Facebook, anything, a lot of times my one, one answer is go. And when I say go, that means God only. Yeah. That's why I say go. Just like I say big. And when I say big, it's because it's God. Mm. So go big, go only God only because it's God. You know what I mean? And it works for me. You know, I think you tell yourself how to be successful. I mean, no, there's no cure for death. And until there is, there's no cure for anything living. But I'm writing a book and, I, and I'm trying to figure the exact title of the book. But every time I try to change the title, this one comes back. Since I have to die anyway, I might as well die beautiful. I like that title. Don't change it. Don't change it. No. Okay. I like that. Ching, ching. Ching, ching. <laughs> <laughs> I like it a lot. I like it a lot. I have to ask you, Angela, um, because, you know, in my past career, I interviewed Andre a lot. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to the guard. I remember there were times when I looked at you and you, you didn't look well. Mm -hmm. And now I look at you and you're glowing. So I have to go back to you again. This change was truly ordained. Yes. I mean, it was meant to be, right? Yes. Yes, it was. It was. Although he enjoyed it and that's where his heart right. was. As you can see, season six was full of great conversations. I encourage you to check out the full versions on YouTube or any podcast platform. We are a nonprofit organization. Find out more about us and how you can help our mission by going to our website, the411live.org. I hope you'll join us next time. I'm Beverly Taylor for the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. If you would like to check out past episodes, there are many ways. Go to your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Like and watch us on Facebook. Watch and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you have suggestions for future episodes, go to our website, the411live.org.